0: I have sometimes been accused of wanting to impose some kind of theocracy and uh, I guess the critics of what I advocate and and teach uh, are worried about uh, things and they use extreme and colourful language to describe the idea of Christians involved in politics. And uh, these are imaginary caricatures and boogie monsters that that bear no similarity or resemblance to reality at all. There's phrases like a a Christian theocracy or Christian Taliban uh, and other such words. And I don't even know what the word impose means, as if these people think I have some kind of magical authority to force my will upon other people. Well, Impose is what the democracy does in a majority. The majority of people get to impose their will altogether. And so it's up to people like me and so many commentators that we listen to to make persuasive arguments and leave it up to the majority to form their own mind. And that is exactly uh, what we seek to do. And that is all we seek to do. It's incredibly benign. And yet you have people in control of the Liberal Party, such as the current leader of the Victorian Liberal branch, John Pasudo, who seem to think that Christians and conservatives and other right-thinking people present some kind of uh, rare and existential threat to liberty and democracy, to the party itself. And the reality is nothing could be further from the truth. The reality is that those people who uh, presume to be the gatekeepers of approved thought, it is they who are behaving tyrannically and undemocratically, not resting on the powers of persuasion and free speech and a battle of ideas, but on a battle of weight and authority. Well, that is not what Menzian liberalism is all about. But what is Menzian liberalism? What did Robert Menzies stand for? Because so many of the so-called moderates and progressives in today's Liberal Party claim Menzies was one of them, moderate and progressive, or in other words, leftist. But was he conservative on the opposite? Can conservatives claim him as our own? I don't think so, because Menzies was probably his own man and born in the late 1800s, somebody very hard to simply and uncomplicatedly without nuance just insert into the conversations we're having today. He would have never conceived of the possibility that we would be talking about gender and sex being different concepts altogether. They've always been the same thing to any student of English. But we have this battle, we have this debate And this is all I assume and propose that we should be seeking to influence in the Liberal Party, not our own uh, standards, but uh, in a narrow sense. And of course, we should bring our standards to every debate. But what we should do when we're in any, any party membership is actually bring our values there and hear and tolerate those other ones as well. Now, there does come a point at which a party which stands for nothing will fall for anything and be completely meaningless in its existence. And I fear that's exactly where the Liberal Party has gotten to, a completely meaningless existence, not standing for anything. So if we're going to return to Menzian liberalism, and I assume those in control of the Liberal Party would not admit publicly they're opposed to that, Then what is Menzian liberalism? The best thing to do to answer that question is to not claim him as our own and take his name in vain, as if he would stand for anything that we believe in, but rather to actually hear the man speak for himself. What did he say? What were his words? What were his values? And how did he navigate the issues that were contentious in his day? Well, one of my favourite authors and political historians is the co-author of this book, The Forgotten Menzies. And he joins me today in the ADH studios. And uh, right after this, coming up, I'm going to be sitting down and talking with Dr. Stephen Shavura. I'm Dave Pello, and this is The Church and State Show. May all that you stand for and that we stand for, be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force.
1: Australia is not a secular country, it is a free country.
0: Well, as I said in the opening to this episode, uh, today I'm in Sydney recording in the ADH studio. So a huge thanks to ADH and a very necessary plug for them. If you're watching on The Good Source or on my website, davepello.com make sure you have downloaded the ADH app. There are so many right-thinking thought leaders that you want to watch and listen to in that app. And uh, it's a great platform for free speech uh, entirely without censorship and the kind of uh, free thinking that is unpopular on the lying harlot media, all of them. But uh, for those people who have not heard of Stephen Shavura, uh, where have you been living? You're under a rock perhaps. He is uh, frequently heard at church and state conferences and summits and a constant crowd favorite. He has a particularly large following on social media. And he is also a notable academic in Australia, a student of history and philosophy and religion and all of those things in the context of Australia as well as the world. It's my pleasure to welcome to The Church and State Show,
1: Dr. Stephen Shavurit. Thanks for having me on the show, David, and uh, what an introduction. Let's see if I can live up to that. No doubt at all. Uh, It's only onward and
0: upward from here. So, Steve, you heard my, uh, my uh, rant or, or ramble about Menzies, and, and I guess the, the main topic I want to sort out today, and let's explore the, the history and the personality, the philosophy and the values of Sir Robert Menzies, but the main contention is that the, the two major camps of the Liberal Party seem to want to claim him as one of them, the, the left and the right. Uh, So which was it? Was Menzies
1: a conservative or a progressive? Well, I mean, uh, of course, the answer is yes. Um, He was, he he identified actually as both. Uh, As we all know, he deliberately called the Liberal Party the Liberal Party because he said he wants it to be a progressive party. Um, And yet at the same time, in one of his autobiographies, uh, he recounts a time when he was talking to his Uncle John. And Uncle John was a socialist. And Menzies was sort of arguing with him as a child. And Menzies sort of looking back on that period, you know, 70 years later, says in his autobiography, even then, I suppose, I was an instinctive conservative. Uh, so, you know, Menzies embodied uh, sort of two traditions of, of thinking about society and thinking about politics, um, a, a tradition that, that placed a heavy emphasis on on, I suppose, responsible freedom, uh, but also a tradition that had a tremendous value uh, for tradition and, for, in, in a sense, the, the fragility and complexity of civilization. And therefore, we want to be very careful about making sudden radical changes and things like that. So um, it, I, th- I do think it is fair to call Menzies something of a, a liberal conservative or conservative liberal, but, but there's, a, there's an even deeper uh, sort, of, um, sort of set of ideas going on that, that uh, Greg Malewish and I talk about in that book, something that's really informing a lot of what he thinks. And that, uh, as you, you will know, David, is, is what historians call a cultural puritanism. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's a complex thinker. And I just want to say, I think you hit the nail on the head, David, that in all these debates about who Menzies was and what he means for today, what we've got to be very careful of is forgetting that we are talking about a man who was born in 1894. Uh, He was born during Queen Victoria's reign. And so, as you say, to just sort of take him and try and transplant him into today's conservatism or today's liberalism is going to be very, very problematic. And that's why it's great to talk about Menzies the man. um, But at the end of the day, what we always want to land on is, you know, what were the the principles that he stood for, what was sort of the eternal principles that he stood for. And perhaps that's what the Liberal Party needs to start thinking much more deeply about. Uh, Look,
0: I want to uh, pivot off what you just said. I want to come back to the term cultural puritanism later. I think it's incredibly important to understanding who Menzies is. And and maybe you can weave that into the answer uh, based on what I'm going to ask you now. and, And that is, what were the principles that Menzies stood for?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, Menzies stood for a a, a, a bunch of ideals. And I I think that the greatest ideal that Menzies probably stood for was uh, personal responsibility. Um, and, And by that, what Menzies meant was a responsibility to ensure that you're more or less able to take care of yourself and when you get to a point where you can take care of yourself, then you have another responsibility and you must help to take care of others in your community. So, I mean, personal responsibility was important for Menzies. Uh, Menzies also came out of a, a cultural milieu that, that, that's really stressed duties. In fact, Menzies stresses duties and responsibility far more than he stresses rights. He actually doesn't like talking about rights all that much. Although he does, and he does talk about freedom and liberty. But even when he's talking about freedom and liberty, very quickly when he's discussing these things, he, he, he talks about the responsibilities that, that go with uh, freedoms and, and liberties. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to live in a world uh, free from poverty, then Menzies doesn't just say we all have a right to be free from poverty. He doesn't say that at all. Um, he says, you know, we, we want to be free from poverty, we want to be free from need, but that imposes a responsibility on us to be responsible with our talents, to be responsible and thrifty with our money, and to sort of make something of ourselves. Um, so sort of personal responsibility, yeah, certainly liberty and freedom, but again, a responsible freedom that recognizes that, that, that freedom has to be anchored to objective goods. Uh, Otherwise, freedom just becomes a kind of license to do whatever you want. And, you know, for Menzies, that is the kind of thing that over time, where people just sort of just doing whatever they want to do, not caring about the truly good things uh, in human life and human civilization, for Menzies, that leads to societies that become sort of decadent, and and they become decrepit and they decay. So for Menzies, yeah, freedom is a good thing, but it needs to be anchored to certain goods. It can't be at the cost of certain goods. And and very importantly for Menzies, um, a great good, in fact, in a sense, the bedrock of civilization for Menzies is the home. It's the family. Um, For Menzies, sort of the, the, the home really is the foundation of civilization. Home life civilizes people, mm. uh, says Menzies. And so, you know, certainly he, he's, he's interested in personal responsibility. He's interested in freedom. But everything for Menzies is anchored to sort of objective goods that are worth pursuing in themselves. And, and once we sort of pull up the anchor from those things and just talk about liberty in the abstract, at that point, says Menzies, we're, we're in dangerous territory. Uh, and, and in that respect, you get Menzies sort of the conservative. So you know, Menzies, the liberal, talks about freedom. He talks about the four freedoms of, of Roosevelt, uh, the sort of freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of worship, freedom from fear, uh, and there's also freedom of private property. So sort of there's, there's five, I guess. Um, but again, uh, and, and that's sort of the liberal Menzies, if you like, but all of it is meant to... Uh, in a sense, yeah, be, be be grounded in the objective good of the home uh, and the family and the pursuit of excellence, the pursuit of goodness, the pursuit of beauty. Menzies believed in these objective things.
0: Yeah. I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Shavira, co-author with uh, Greg Malewish, of uh, the Forgotten Menzies. Uh, the link to buy this book is in the show notes beneath this video uh, and if you don't have access to those show notes, uh, then jump onto DavePello.com and find this episode with Dr. Stephen Shavura. You'll be able to find it there, uh, but uh, you can also find it in all good bookstores and online as well. In reading this book, I actually get quite excited and, and uh, I think I'm starting to uh, maybe make Menzies stand for whatever I do because I'm, I'm hearing echoes of what I'm so passionate about at the moment and that is a, a long path to fixing politics in this nation through a reformation of culture. And I, I really subscribe to Os Guinness's golden triangle of democracy, that democracy is at its best. Uh, when it is built on freedom uh, and freedom is a necessary foundation for faith and faith is a necessary foundation for virtue. And it's that virtue which makes a, a democracy possible uh, in a benevolent way, good for society, good for flourishing, good for people instead of the way it can be malevolent. And, and we've seen so much malevolence in democracy Uh, in this decade because of the speed at which uh, Australians descended into safetyism, uh, preferring to impose their will on other people uh, at the violation of freedom. Uh, And that seemed quite tyrannical and outworking of democracy to me and it stemmed from a lack of virtue that people were afraid and and the opposite of uh, self reliant they were completely willing to outsource. Uh, their safety uh, and personal responsibility to the state uh, and to appointed experts to tell them what to think and what to do and how to behave and when they could even leave their home or pursue an income or educate their children. Uh, and, And I think that there is no law which can constrain a people who are not constrained by virtue in themselves. And so, the virtue, uh, to, to use, uh, I guess, this term, um, that Menzies advocated, uh, this cultural Puritanism, if you like, um, is, is something that I'm like, yes, that's exactly what we need. What Menzies argued for is exactly the political reformation we need right now. Instead of everybody else demanding that they be able to rely on the taxpayer uh, and public programs, and, and government spending, uh, and, and all of the problems that we're seeing that creates now housing uh, crisis, inflation, and, and, and so many cultural, um, you know, if you want to see a theocracy, we, we've got a leftist theocracy at the moment where their values are being imposed. It's illegal to offer People talk therapy in counselling if they seek it in regards to sexual confusion or gender confusion. It's a it's potentially a jailable offence. Now that is the imposition of a of a worldview that is the complete opposite of of liberalism uh, and that is from the left of politics. So as I read this book that uh, you and Greg Milushev have written together, I'm like, yes, let's get the liberal party, let's at least get one of the parties back to this Menzian liberalism because there's this, this period in time that I think we could learn a lot for if we just said, hey, what about the combination of being reliable and self-reliance as well? Explain more for us about cultural Puritanism. Uh, Puritanism is probably uh, quite a pejorative label at the moment. If you called somebody that, you're you're probably being insulting. But what did it mean to Menzies?
1: Well, I mean, Puritanism and the Puritans up until the 1950s and 60s were held actually in high regard uh, in in much of Britain and America uh, because the Puritans Uh, they placed a heavy emphasis on government by consent. So Puritans who sort of emerged out of the 16th century and and were very critical of the Church of England because they thought, quite frankly, it was still too Catholic. Uh, Puritans were very often quite critical of forms of government where people don't vote in those people who are going to sort of govern them. And so so Puritans spoke a lot about government by consent and that that's the only sort of legitimate form of government. And and so what you have with Puritans, they were sort of harbingers of sort of modern democratic theory. Um, And you get these from their writings in the 16th and in particular in in the 17th century. And then, of course, the Puritans most famously uh, set sail from England and other parts of Europe in the earlier part of the 17th century And come over to the New World, come over to America, and they start their own Puritan colonies. Now, these Puritan colonies were not exactly bastions of religious freedom, but what they were bastions of very often was uh, of democracy. That is where the, the community rules and the constitutions were written up by those who were sort of citizens of these towns, uh, very often towns in, in the New England area uh, on, on America's sort of east, east coast. Um, and yet there were other sort of movements loosely associated with the Puritans, the nonconformists, and they did come to start to champion religious freedom as well. And so, you know, in the 18th and 19th and sort of the first half of the 20th century, When someone mentioned the term Puritanism or Puritan, very often what they meant by that was someone who was sort of uh, um, someone who was independent, who was sturdy, who sort of loved um, being free from the control of some church or some government uh, out sort of outside of their own consent. It it kind of it, it was a term of sort of virtuousness and and. And sturdiness and strength. Uh, often you would hear the expression, you know, in the, the, the 19th and, and particularly in the 20th century, the, you know, the, the, st- the sturdy Puritan. Um, uh, and then it's really in the 1960s, mostly, 50s and 60s, where Puritanism starts to take on its modern connotation of basically of wow- Wowserism, to use an Australianism. Um, sort of being very moralistic and things like that, but, mm, but prudish, but in, yeah, prudish. But in Menzies' time, there was a kind of sturdiness about it, and that's why I get a bit annoyed when when modern critics of woke constantly call it a sort of new puritanism, uh, because in actual fact, those who do sort of love liberty and they love accountable institutions, institutions that are sort of accountable to the people. They've actually, they're actually in great debt to the Puritan movement. They, they just know very little about it other than the caricatures mm. of Puritanism that come out of the 50s and the 60s. Mm. If they knew a bit more about Puritanism, they probably wouldn't be comparing the woke uh, to the Puritans, I don't think. Um, so in Menzies' time, um, Puritans were really revered. Um, and, and when historians talk about cultural Puritanism, they talk about a kind of cultural... A set of cultural virtues like sort of independent mindedness, um, self-reliance, godliness very often, and also a sense of obligations to others in the community. Uh, So it wasn't about individualism. And and that's very important that that Menzies actually didn't like individualism. Mm. He thought it was quite selfish. What Menzies liked was individuality. That is, that you're your own person. You can stand on your own two feet, but you recognise that you're also sort of born into a society, not just with rights, but with duties to others. Mm. Uh, and, and, And this very much sums up sort of cultural puritanism. If you want sort of the great Australian manifesto of cultural puritanism, it's Menzies' Forgotten People speech. It's all in there. And that's how I kind of discovered that the best way to describe certainly Menzies up until the end of World War II is not to talk of him as a liberal or to talk of him as a conservative or even to talk about him as a liberal conservative. He really was a guy who was desperately trying to revive the virtues of cult- of, of cultural Puritanism in Australia that he felt were under attack and at threat. By the socialism that had become very popular during the Great Depression, and was also becoming popular again uh, during World War II through state planning, and of course, as we know, the Labour government um, after World War II tries to maintain the rations, tries to and, and tries to continue to socialise industries, uh, all under the guise of you know wartime emergency acts and things like that. They're basically trying to keep keep state involvement in the economy and bring about socialism. Menzies Mm. saw that happening. He really worried that that kind of thing would would sort of corrupt people. It would lead them to feel very dependent on the state sort of as their mother or father. And he thought that is something that in the long run is not going to work uh, in Australia. And and the other threat that he saw to sort of the virtues of cultural puritanism was Marxist communism, which of course becomes very powerful uh, in the West. Uh, during the Depression and after World War II. And and the thing he didn't like about Marxist communism was not just that it was tyrannical and completely uh, eviscerated liberty, but it was atheistic. Uh, Menzies detested the atheism of Marxist communism. He strongly believed that any civilization worth its salt had to have some sense that it was reliant on a creator God that gives individuals uh, dignity.
0: Mm. Uh, I, I really love the talk about uh, a reformation of virtue. And I really do think that's something we, we all need to be advocating more and more for ourselves as well as for each other in Australia is, is this return to virtue. Uh, and I, I resonate with what Menzies said that, uh, we, we don't just, we, we, you know, dependence on government is the bad thing. Uh, what we should be championing is, championing is independence and dependability, self-reliance and reliability, uh, in as much as possible leaving government out of the picture altogether. Uh, are we on the right side of politics now at, at risk of overreacting to the last three years and overemphasizing
1: individualism and rights, um, I, I think that for sure in the what's often called the conservative movement in America and and in Australia. Um, so, so probably really well embodied in something like the CPAC movement in America and Australia. There is a tremendous uh, emphasis on liberty and on rights. Uh, and I do think that prob- uh, that probably to some extent no doubt was v- greatly intensified by the uh, sort of technocratic tyranny. That we uh, experienced uh, over a few years uh, here in Australia uh, during sort of the COVID panic. But what's sort of lacking in a lot of uh, Australian uh, discussion on liberty is liberty to do what? Freedom to do what? And, and, and this is something that, that, that the Liberal Party today uh, it's something that it lacks that, that sort of Menzies' Liberal Party and Menzies himself had. You know, um, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't even refer to a lot of these people as conservatives uh, as opposed to sort of libertarians. And, and conservatism and libertarian are not the same thing at all. In fact, mm-hmm. in some respects, they're quite at odds with one another. Mm-hmm. I, I would consider myself more a conservative, notwithstanding my sympathies with some varieties of libertarianism, mm-hmm. for sure. But. Um, what sort of the modern freedom movement in Australia uh, lacks is, is a broader conception of, of exactly how, you know, what, what the good life for a human being is. Uh, what should we be free actually to do? And, and so if you asked Menzies, and if you ask me for that matter, like, do you like freedom? Um, Menzies probably would have said, and I definitely would say, well, it depends Of freedom to do what exactly? What exactly do you want to be free to do? Uh, Do you want to be free uh, to mutilate your body and then demand that everyone calls you uh, by a gender or by a sex that you are not? Is that what you mean by freedom? And so if, if that's what you mean by freedom, then no, because that's not really sort of freedom. That's really just license. That's you sort of doing what you want, regardless of what is good or not. Good distinction. And, you know, there are varieties of of liberalism, which say, well, that the state should have no understanding, no conception of what the good life is. It should just basically allow people to do what they want as long as they're not hurting one another. Menzies wasn't quite of that kind of liberalism because he believed that our freedoms should be used to pursue objectively good things, especially uh, stable uh, family and community life, and as well as that, uh, personal excellence, personal edification, learning, improving ourselves. Menzies was very much a man of his time. And although you wouldn't necessarily want to resurrect all the ideals of of anyone born in 1894, uh, he had a lot of ideals that we could really benefit from a lot today, particularly in an age where we seem to have everything that we want at our fingertips, we're so easily entertained Mm. 24-7, we're increasingly in a sub-literate age, we're in an age where we're just being constantly um, fed dopamine hits through our iPhones and and, and through all sorts of images. And it's, it's very much an age where Menzies would say, because we've become so comfortable, we've become so prosperous, and technology is so advanced, and life has become yeah so luxurious by comparison to when Menzies was a child. He recounts the time he first heard a telephone, and it's and it terrified him hearing a voice uh, coming through um, the receiver wow. as a child. Yeah, he remembered all of this. He remembered when microphones were introduced. He didn't <laughs> like it. Uh, he thought it sort of severed a, an organic connection between the speaker and the audience. Wow. But but Menzies always warned Australians that. Technology and prosperity, although they can be wonderful things, at the same time, they can corrupt us because when you have everything that you need, you become spoiled and you start really just starting to focus on enjoying all the things that you have, enjoying the abundance that you, of food, the abundance of leisure, the abundance of, of technological technologically guaranteed comfort, that you basically forget that there are other people in the community with whom you should be in relationship with, you become less moral, you stop caring about cultural excellence and you just become completely preoccupied with the pursuit of pleasure. And for Menzies, you forget about God. And for Menzies, prosperity and technology come with great promise, but they also come with a great threat that Mm. they can corrupt us. And in that sense, Menzies was saying things that many people during his age were saying as well in England, in America, and people as far back as the ancient historians were saying the exact same thing. Um, And Menzies got it. And Menzies' greatest fear was that Australia would be corrupted by material success, technology and godlessness. And what Greg and I argue in this book, uh, you know, as much as someone might admire Menzies, that if Menzies' great goal was to try to restore the virtues of cultural puritanism and stop Australians from being corrupted by the, the, the economic success after World War II, in that respect, I'm sorry to say, Menzies failed. I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Shavura, co-author of this fantastic
0: book that I think every Australian must read, The Forgotten Menzies, co-authored with Greg Meluish. You can meet uh, Dr. Shavura, Stephen, at the upcoming Church and State events, and I encourage you to head to the website churchandstate.com.au and subscribe to email updates because there are lots of events coming. First up, we've got uh, Dr. Shaviru flying over to Perth, Western Australia for a fantastic Church and State conference there on the 4th and 5th of August. That's a Friday and Saturday, just a few weeks away now. And you can get 20% off your tickets by mentioning the code GS20, GS20. So head to the website churchandstate.com.au And if you're in Adelaide, join the waiting list for the conference there where Dr. Shavira will also be joining us. And don't forget to uh, look at the summit and plan ahead to March next year, March 8 and 9, the annual Australian Church and State Summit will be held, and that's over two days with a fantastic lineup there as well. So, uh, Perth Conference coming up, uh, 4th and 5th of August, and uh, add your name to the email updates list on churchandstate.com.au, where we're going to be talking about so many more great topics like this. Coming up in Perth, Dr. Shavira will be speaking about his perspective on that issue we will all be asked to make a decision on uh, in October, more than likely. The Voice Referendum. Stephen, thanks again so much for writing this book and for taking the time to join me on the show today. This is The Church and State Show. And I, as a born-again practicing Christian, uh, believe that the Bible is the word of God and the authority for morality and moral living. Uh, Now, I don't wish to impose that on people. I don't believe faith is something that can be legislated. It is a free will choice and a response of the heart. Um, But obviously, we do have some laws in Australia that correspond with the laws of God, like don't steal, don't murder. Uh, where um, Where was Robert Menzies on freedom of religion, religious liberty, and even what place did he advise or encourage Australians to have in their development of virtue and morality to maximise the Australia that he was envisaging?
1: Well, Menzies was a great advocate of religious liberty his whole life. Um, uh, Menzies saw it as the foundational freedom uh, upon which you know, no democratic, free, Civilization could possibly, um, uh, could possibly escape. I mean, a- any free democratic civilization for Menzies had to first and foremost respect uh, freedom of, of religion. And in that respect, uh, uh, Menzies would be utterly horrified at the whittling away of religious freedom in Australia in terms of attempts to take away the rights of schools, to hire, teachers and staff who are completely sympathetic with their religious points of view, Uh, the ability of uh, people to be able to express their religious opinions in the workplace. And I I would imagine he would just be bewildered at some of the laws that have been introduced throughout Australia, particularly in in Victoria, uh, preventing uh, people from praying Uh, for people who, for example, have unwanted same-sex attraction or unwanted gender dysphoria. Menzies would see all of that as a massive state assault on freedom for people to believe what they want and also freedom for them to be able to form voluntary associations so they can pursue those beliefs and those ideals together. Because, I mean, Menzies understood that freedom of religion is very close bound to freedom of speech and freedom of association. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who have some idea of what the meaning of life is like to gather with others who have that same conception and try to live consistency, consistently according to it together. They also like to start their own institutions, uh, which further those ideals. Menzies got that. It's something that Australia, unfortunately, seems rapidly to be forgetting about and maybe it's because increasingly we're becoming de-Christianized and so people less and less care about religious liberty because they don't see themselves as particularly religious. Uh, The problem though is that those who want to whittle away religious freedom are not just trying to whittle away the freedom of people who are religious to say what they want about issues such as, you know, sex and gender, or to have their own uh, institutions which uh, uh, carry on according to their own laws. They want to whittle the rights and the liberties from anyone, religious or not, who disagrees with them. Mm. Like, that's the very important thing. And, and that's why, like, someone like Jermaine Greer, uh, who's not a Christian, maybe she's an atheist, I don't know, sort of radical feminist, she has found herself on the outer with many of these sort of leftist, um, uh, sort of uh, leftist groups who aren't asking her whether she's religious or not. They just want to know what she thinks of something like transgender. And if she's on the wrong side, whether she's religious or not, they're going to persecute her. And so, you know, everyone in Australia needs to be concerned about preserving religious liberty. Um, because it it is kind of the canary in the coal mine. Once it starts to go, everyone's freedom of thought and freedom of association will come under threat. And it's a travesty that the Liberal Party at the state and the federal levels has not been passionately involved in defending and speaking up for religious liberty. Um, Mm. You know, you see... Um, The way the Liberal Party is going in Victoria, the way it's going in Western Australia, these parties are becoming increasingly illiberal. They're jumping on to a kind of uh, progressive bandwagon because unfortunately, a lot of the Liberal Party uh, nowadays, certainly sort of since since the end of the Howard years, I think. And you know, maybe a little bit later, but what the Liberal Party has become is first and foremost a party simply about getting re-elected. Exactly it, it right. It doesn't seem to know what its core principles are other than oh, where about freedom and where about progress. Okay, freedom to do what example and progress towards what. Mm. And their answers to those questions seem basically to be determined by whatever the media Uh, whatever the loudest uh, ideological elites of the day seem to think that they are. So, oh, um, net zero. Yes, that's what we want to pursue. Uh, Is net zero actually good for Australia? Is it grounded in science? Is it grounded in sound economic policy? That doesn't matter. No, no, no. That's what we have to pursue. Of course, in Victoria, you've got the ridiculous man, John Pasudo, who stands for nothing Mm -hmm. other than Uh, getting re-elected, he wants basically to make the Liberal Party more or less indistinguishable from Labor and the Greens, except on issues probably of taxation and government intervention in the economy. And this is a big problem with the Liberal Party today. Many Australians, Middle Australia, um, it has a kind of conservative instinct. And we're going to see this with the voice referendum, which is going to crash and burn in October. Mark my words, it is going to flunk and you're gonna see sort of a kind of real Australia which says, you know something? We're not interested in this these ideological battles. We wanna make sure that our children go to schools that we choose. We don't want boys um, playing girls in, in, in sporting teams. We're against a lot of sort of the the, the ideological Uh, wokery that is creeping into the Liberal Party, and you know something, we want to be able to pay our power bills as well. You know, these are the people that the Liberal Party is really starting to forget. There there is a whole new forgotten people out there that the Liberal Party needs to remember. And these people, uh, David, are not going to be inspired by talk of freedom, freedom, freedom. You know something, when you can't afford your rent, when you can't afford a deposit on a first home in Sydney or Melbourne because you can't get a house for less than 800,000 or a million dollars, you don't care about freedom. You know, what most people want to do is to own their own house, start their own family, mind their own business. That's what most people want to do. And the Liberal Party needs to understand that there is an instinctive an instinctive suspicion and antipathy to ideological zeal among most Australians. And it needs to stop pursuing woke policies. It needs to stop pursuing sort of the 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 net zero um, agenda. And it also needs to be the party that gets people into home ownership, because Liberals today are talking about, you know, the threat of socialism. Well, let me tell you right now, all you liberals, all you young liberals, if you really care about some threat of socialism, and in a sense, I think you should, mm. then the best thing you can do to stave off socialism in Australia is to get people to own property, solve the housing crisis. That's what you've got to do. If you don't do that, then absolutely. Uh, the promises of socialism, the promises of universal basic incomes will be very appealing because you've got to remember, everyone, that it means nothing to someone who can't own property to be when they are told that property rights are a really good thing. And Karl Marx understood this. Mm. Karl Marx got it. He said in his Communist Manifesto, he said, everyone knows that property rights are bunk When only 1% of people can actually own property. Why would you care about property rights when property is something you could never own? You don't care about that. Mm. And so if you want to stave off socialism, if you want to generate personal responsibility, a love of property rights, then you've got to bring it about that people can actually own property. That is the great challenge of the Liberal Party over the next 20 years, and let me tell you, the party that solves the housing crisis is the party that captures a generation of voters. You'll never lose them.
0: I understand from your your excellent book, uh, The Forgotten Menzies, that one of the hallmarks of cultural puritanism uh, was actually this, this vision and this thrust in the 50s and 60s and, and early 20th century to actually boost home ownership um, amongst Australians and to have as many people as, as, as possible owning their own private property.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, as people have, have taught um, from time immemorial, uh, the best way to teach people personal responsibility and, and thrift Uh, is to get them owning something Mm. because, you know, no one looks after something better than the person who owns it. And so, and this is the thing, we can't just talk about bringing back virtues, uh, bringing back a sense of, of responsibility without considering that there are material conditions that kind of set in place the exercise and the stimulation of these virtues. You're never going to reintroduce a sense of personal responsibility, a hostility to the state, having a lot of control of the economy and a hostility of relying on the state for your income. You're never going to introduce these kinds of things without solving the housing crisis. There's a kind of just a, a brute material factor that needs to be met. And, and as long as liberals are talking about freedom from government, freedom from uh, relying on government, um, freedom from socialism, but without a plan to try to get people into their own homes. Mm. Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be absolutely fruitless.
0: Yep. Well, I uh, am a big believer that the way to solve the political degradation of this nation is a cultural reformation. And one of the things I encourage people who listen and, and follow whatever I have to say and the guests that I interview to do is to join the Liberal Party, not because they deserve support, but because they deserve saving. Mm. Uh, And the right way to save them is to point them back to exactly the picture that is contained in this book, the forgotten Menzies. He has been forgotten and it's a tragedy. And the Liberal Party can be great again if it is reminded what Menzian liberalism is. And uh, as grassroots members, we need to rejoin this party that's right of centre and return it en masse with our influence to these values of cultural puritanism, of self reliance and reliability. This uh, welcome and embrace of faith and Christianity as a foundation for being virtuous in this society and and being able for others to depend on us as well as being independent. This is how we achieve small government. This is how we, uh, as Stephen said, uh, flee the ideological zeal of of the left and provide them with a viable common sense alternative that's not zealous in its own right or or slipstreaming effectively the ideological zeal of the the left that's being offered by the Labour Party. This is what it takes to reform the culture. And of course, if you're Christian, then you already have the, the rule book for the best society, the best values, the best policies available. And that is very much the opposite of selfish rights-based freedom activism. It's all about loving your neighbor and being motivated to, to build the prosperity, the liberty, uh, the peace and the justice of everybody around you. That's exactly what Jesus meant, uh, as, as well as the spiritual eternal sense when he b- said we have to be the salt of the earth, a phrase that Robert Menzies uh, uh, referred to, the salt of the earth people who were there to flavor and be good influences on everybody around them. Uh, Stephen Chavura, thank you so much for, again for writing that book and for your time on the Church and State Show this week.
1: Always great talking to you, David. And thanks so much to the good folks at the mighty uh, ADH studios. Indeed. Well, that's it for this episode
0: of the Church and State Show. Just a reminder, if you want to follow me, see the latest episodes and get my weekly newsletter updates, you need to head to my website, davepello.com. If you follow me on social media, the address is at Dave Pello, uh, but roughly 1% of the people who follow me will see my posts. It's incredible how little reach I actually have to that audience there. So the best thing you can do to beat the big tech censors and shadow bands is to actually get those updates every week in your inbox. I'll also update you there about upcoming church and state events. And uh, thank you very much again to ADH Studios for hosting us in Sydney this week and producing this episode. And also to those supporters of myself, the Church and State Ministry and Good Source, who just contribute faithfully either one-off amounts or regularly to make this work possible and uh, and keep this independent media project and mission coming to you. Look forward to seeing you in Perth, Adelaide, or the annual summit in Brisbane. But until the next episode, God bless you and Australia.
1: Today, we need a special kind of courage.
0: Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that
1: we are not afraid of the future.